Today on Ag News Daily. I think I think it helps a little bit now that the planting push is, is, is gone and now you can maybe reach some equanimity because there's just nothing you can do. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, at Madison Honcomp here, joined by Mike Pearson on the Ag News Daily podcast. And Mike, tell us what is going on in your life today. Well, that is a fantastic question, Madison. Thank you for asking. I actually have some huge news today, listeners. If you follow me on Twitter, I made this announcement a little bit ago. But as of today, I'm taking on a new role as the vice president of market engagement for the Zaner Group. You've heard of Zaner. They have been our fantastic sponsors for the market segment of the Ag News Daily podcast. Ted Seifried, uh, Brian Grossman, of course, Matt Zaner, who is the head of the company. They're all great people. They've been good friends to me. And uh They've extended me this opportunity, so I will be packing my bags and moving to Chicago at some point in the future to uh, to work with them. So if you've got any meetings that you want to talk futures and options with your customers or with your neighbors, I'm the guy you need to get a hold of. We can arrange some uh, some high-quality speakers. We can talk through how to manage risk more effectively, and uh, I'm really looking forward to it. But Madison – I'm still going to be hanging around on the podcast. <laughs> That's good news, Mike. <laughs> it is. I love doing the podcast, love uh, talking to our listeners, bringing them the latest in agricultural news. But I've got to give one quick pitch here. If you want to get a hold of me and uh, and talk about uh, speaking or group meetings or anything, find me on Twitter. You can reach me at Pearson Cattle or Mike at Ag News Daily. And uh, we'll love to set something up. Well, there you have it. Well, thank you, Madison. So that's what's new in my life, starting off July with a bang here on this really uh, Monday, Monday, July 1st. That's kind of throwing mm. me for a loop. But what is new in the world of Madison Honkamp? Not much, really. I'm still going to college. <laughs> that's going like to be going on for the out. next... That's no, exciting. I bet I'm all your parents are that. proud. Yes, they are. I still got that going for me for three years now, so... Fantastic. Fantastic. Well, Madison, as we take a look out at the landscape of <laughs> agriculture, what are some of the things in the news today? One of the big things in the news today, Mike, is the meeting between President Trump and President G at the G20 summit in Japan that happened this past Saturday. Um, so they kind of reached, reached a truce, um, it sounds like. They have kind of put a hold on – tariffs are still in place, but they haven't added any more, really. Um, and so hopefully we can see these trade talks restart, and they have agreed to restart them. Um, and China, I believe, has agreed to increase purchases of U.S. ag commodities, so that is some good news for our agriculture. Um, but they haven't really given any details about the commodities um, specifically. Right. Yeah, there was, a, I guess we shouldn't say surprising, but it was very much detail free yeah. on exactly how this was going to play out. Um, basically, you're exactly right. They said there is going to be some easing of restrictions on Chinese, uh, the tech company Huawei, mm -hmm. which has been uh, one of those things that has frustrated the Chinese 
government for some time, and there will be no new tariffs coming up anytime soon. Um, there's a great quote here. This fellow by the name of Hans Peterson, who is the global head of asset allocation at SEB Investment Management. I have no idea who they are, but his <laughs> quote was, quote, it played out as well as possible, end quote, which I think kind of sums up how that meeting went. Eh, it was yeah. fine. Nobody punched anybody in the mouth and there's going to be no new tariffs. So it's uh, more of the status quo in the trade war, but at least there was no escalation, which is probably a win. Yeah, definitely. And um, I do I do know that Friday on Friday, the USDA did report an export sale of five hundred and forty four thousand metric tons of soybeans to China. Um, And from June 14th to the 20th, the USDA did report that net sales of pork reached 10,400 tons to China and 7,300 of that 10,400 tons of pork were exported to China. So Nice. We're getting those, yes. those uh, that pork off our shores and shipped over to China. Yes, definitely. And they do need it. They do. And so I've got an interesting story. This is coming from Reuters. This is a story they reported on a little bit earlier this weekend, and it kind of made some ripples in the Twitter mm-hmm. sphere. But uh, Reuters reports that as many as half, fully 50 percent of China's breeding pigs have either died from African swine fever or have been slaughtered, uh, which is twice as many as Chinese officials have acknowledged. Uh, basically, the Reuters report comes from four different people who supply pork or hogs to these very large Chinese uh, pork operations. And uh, this one guy, Edgar Wayne Johnson, who's a veterinarian who has spent 14 years in China, um, he says, quote, something like 50 percent of sows are dead. End quote. Um, so other producers of vaccines, feed additives and genetics, again, they're looking at their supply chain. They're looking at their sales and they're saying, yeah, losses of 40 to 50 percent of breeding stock are entirely realistic. So this catastrophe happening in China is very, very real. And this kind of confirms the Ag News daily expectation that the Chinese government has been underreporting the mm-hmm. deaths due to ASF. Um, we don't know exactly how this is going to play out with regard to importing even more um, American pork, but it certainly would, I think, push us in that direction. And we'll talk with Elaine Cub here for a hashtag Market Monday segment a little bit about what's going on in the American pork market. But in the meantime, this has certainly been uh, been quite a piece of important news, I think, for our listeners to know. Because sows eat a heck load of soybean meal and corn. Mm -hmm. So we could see continued demand destruction in China um, just based on that, regardless of what happens to the trade war. Yes, definitely. And I think it's kind of it's crazy that we haven't really seen anything come out about, you know, vaccination or treatment or how to find the signs of, you know, African swine fever and it's been going yeah. on for almost a year now, so hopefully something can come out soon to really prevent this disease. Right. Hopefully, you know, fingers crossed before it mm-hmm. hits the U.S. shores. Yes. That's the important thing. Yes, definitely. Definitely. So what else do you have sticking out at you? Well, you know, speaking of China, Mike, yeah, we kind of reported back a couple, maybe about a month ago now, that 
China was having issues with the army worm um, in their corn crop, and they have actually found this in a major corn-producing province um, of Shandong in the north, in northern China. And so, you know, they really haven't found a way to get rid of this pest yet. They were trying to combat it with, um, I think, stink bugs, I believe, is what they were trying to kind of put in with those kind of provinces and regions that had a lot of these pests, but they haven't really seen any um, results from it. But it has not damaged any crops quite yet, but they are still watching that. So maybe we can see some exports of corn go to China here soon um, if they don't get this under control as well. Absolutely. You know, if this starts to this could be where China steps in and starts making Mm -hmm. large purchases of ag, which is what President Trump tweeted about after his meeting with President Xi. So, yeah, maybe corn is where we look rather than soybeans. Yeah. And maybe this will kind of help those trade negotiations even further almost. Fingers crossed. I think that's for sure. (laughs) Definitely. Well, I just have one other piece of news, and I'm just bringing it up because, uh, excuse me, Elaine will talk about it during our segment. But we did have the Hogs and Pigs report um, out on Friday. And as of June 1st, there were 75.5 million hogs and pigs on U.S. farms. That's up 4% from June of last year and up 1% from March. Uh, So basically, we continue to see that market expand. And I thought this was interesting. I just think back to when I was growing up on the hogs in the pasture operation. You know, if we'd get eight or nine piglets, we were thrilled. But from March through May 2019, U.S. hog and pig producers weaned an average of 11 pigs per litter. Mm -hmm. So we're growing, but we're also being uh, much better stewards of those live piggies once they hit the ground, which I think is great news. Oh, yes, definitely. I know we really focused on that in my animal science class last, like in the spring semester is how much we have improved, you know, raising not just pigs, but, you know, cattle and all of those other livestock that we have and keeping them healthy and safe and then ultimately it being healthier for us to consume. Absolutely. And I think it's important to note that livestock, whether it's pork or cattle or probably chicken, Mm -hmm. continue to get more delicious as well, which I think is awesome. Not only are we raising them, we're raising them better. We're also raising them better. I mean, they're just, they're much more tasty. I think we've come a long way in pork, especially. Oh, yes, definitely. If you look at some of the graphs that like shout out to Dr. Sterling at Iowa State. She had so many just comparative pictures of like, you know, what, like what a hog um, carcass looked like in like the fifties compared to now. And like the difference in fat, the difference in muscle tissue, like it's crazy. And it's amazing of what we've done. Yeah, it is absolutely nuts, and it is certainly mm-hmm. a good thing. Yes, definitely. Madison, do you have any other news that we need to talk about today? I have one last thing, Mike, that I found coming out of Reuters. Um, something really interesting that I saw, it really caught my eye. I am in no means a expert in economics, so if we have any listeners that are much better than me at kind of analyzing this and understanding it, you know, let us know. Give us a shout out on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and, you know, maybe we can have you on the podcast to talk about it, but 
So many countries are looking to reform their, you know, subsidies and taxes that are going to farmers from policies that are actually heavily distorting markets and not only their own country markets, you know, their, uh, but also global markets. This actually kind of started in early 2000s, but kind of got put on the back burner and hasn't really come to light. But with the rise in trade tensions, you know, analysts are really trying to help um, those markets and kind of see how to make it better so they're not as disruptive um, because they are with tariffs and everything. So if they can kind of pull back on that with, you know, taxes and subsidies, they're hoping to. And it's actually covering, you know, 53 countries that estimated that they actually offered $445 billion per year in net transfers to agricultural producers. So this is definitely something for us to keep an eye on here. Um, they don't quite say, you know, how are they going to fix this or how are they going to, you know, help these Situ this entire situation that we have going on with trade and tariffs and the markets and all, you know, all of that. Um, but, you know, it might be something to keep an eye on and see how they are going to change these different things. So, Madison, in this story, does it give a list of which countries are having these discussions about uh, reducing or eliminating their, their support mechanisms for agriculture? It doesn't. It just says 53 countries and they were ones that were included in the Paris-based Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development. Um, so, yeah. Okay, so it's OECD mm -hmm. countries that are yes. having this discussion. Yes. So we'll just have to, yeah, like you say, stay tuned and see exactly how this manifests because, yeah, I mean, ag supports have long been a bone of contention mm -hmm. when it comes to trade deals. We've seen this happen most notably in American ag with the the dairy support program in Canada and with some of the support programs that exist in our country as we look to do business in, in New Zealand or in Europe and these sorts of things. Mm -hmm. And yeah, it feels like we're just getting started with that conversation. Yes, definitely. It's definitely something to keep our eye on, for, definitely for producers to keep their eye on as well. Faux shizzle, as Snoop Dogg would say. <laughs> oh, geez. <laughs> OG, that's me, Madison. I am the OG <laughs> market reader here on the Ag News Daily Podcast. And with that being said, what do you say? Should we look at what happened to the market prices today? Let's do it, Mike. All right, folks, our markets are brought to us by our really, really good friends at the Zaner Group and uh, reminding you that you can put a marketing plan in place. You can manage some of that market risk by giving them a shout. You can reach them at 312-277-0050 or visit them on the web at Zaner, Z-A-N-E-R.com and tell them you heard it on Ag News Daily. Yeah, it's red pretty well all down the screen in the grains today. Looking at corn, the SEP contract was down nine and a quarter at 415 and a half, with December down nine, closed the day at 422 and a half. In soybeans, the August contract was down 14 and three quarters to finish at 889 and three quarters. November down 14 and a half, finished the day at 908 and a half. In Chicago wheat, the September was off 15 and a half cents at 511 and three quarters, with the December down 14 and a quarter, closing the day at 524 
and a quarter. Jumping over to the world of livestock, we did see some gains here with mixed rate in the live cattle complex. The August fat cattle was down 25 cents at 104.10, with the October up 10, closing the day at 105.52.50. In feeder cattle, August up 17.5 cents at 137.02.50. September up 92.5, closed the day at 137.62.50. Hogs were a big mover today. The July contract was up 47.5 cents at 72.57.50, with the August up not quite limit, but closed higher by $2.70 at $78.70. And dairy also doing some moving today as we take a look at class three milk. The June was down two cents. Of course, that has now expired. July was up 17 at 17.46 and the August up 28 cents closed the day at 17.87. Without further ado, let's dive deeper into these markets with our good friend, Elaine Cub. Well, folks, it is Hashtag Market Monday on the Ag News Daily Podcast, and we are joined by our good friend, Ms. Elaine Cub. Elaine, what are you up to today on this Monday? I've been doing some farming. That's good for it. you. You getting some crop in the ground up there in South Dakota? What kind of farming are you doing? Well, I was mo- just scouting at this point and filling out crop insurance paperwork, that kind of farming. The kind of farming uh-huh. you do sitting on your butt. Right, the pencil plow type of farming. Yes. Well, bring us up to speed. We haven't talked to anybody out of South Dakota in a while. How are crops looking up in your part of the world? You know, uh, really quite normal. So Thursday is July 4th, so 4th of July is coming up. And I know where you are at. Nobody ever talks about knee high by the 4th of July anymore. But up here, and especially if your knees are as short as mine, um, yeah, actually, knee high by the 4th of July is a pretty good benchmark. And that's about where we are. Um a lot of neighbors of mine have corn that looks a little better, and there's obviously lots of patches that are prevent plant. So driving, you know, just sort of a road trip tour is kind of grim. All of these fields that have just been fallowed, um, but uh, but generally speaking, what's in there looks about normal for this time of year. I learned something interesting on Twitter, and listeners, verify this or debunk this, um, but apparently the knee-high by 4th of July saying originated in colonial times about being knee-high to a man on horseback. Oh, that makes a lot more sense. Doesn't it? It was like, man, colonial crops must have sucked if they're only getting knee-high by the 4th of July, but you put a dude on a horse and all of a sudden that's a decent corn crop. Yeah, that makes a lot more sense. I was thinking of this just yesterday because, yeah, so up here where we're growing 90-day corn, it's fine. Like that a knee-high by 4th of July makes sense. But at no time did it ever make sense if you're planting corn uh, in early May or late April in Iowa. It shouldn't be knee-high by the 4th of July. That was crazy. So that makes much more sense, Mike. I appreciate that. There you go. I exist to make people smarter. Elaine Cobb, that's what I'm for. That's what this Ag News Daily, I tell you what. (laughs) This is a great podcast. Stick around. We'll fill you with factoids. But now we're we're talking corn. Okay. We had the report out on Friday, 91.7 million corn acres, according to producers, planting progress and intentions as of June 15th. Elaine, the market appears to be buying this number based on Friday's trade and today's trade. What do you make of it? It, Yeah, the market is reacting to that number and it, Seems absolutely crazy to me. I think I think there's no way there's actually 91.7 million acres of corn out there 
uh, given the progress that was actually made on the date when folks gave up on planting corn. I think that's just, yeah, I mean, that's just the data that USDA had at the time that they prepared that report, and that's what they had to put out. But I I believe that the market will uh, go back to ignoring that sort of intentions next week. We've got a, a WASDE report coming up, so the general supply and demand numbers, wherein the economists go in, and they, they will have a little more latitude to incorporate weather effects through the spring and, of course, their yield projections. So I think by next week, the WASDE report, it'll wash this taste of that 91.7 million acre number out of our mouths. But in the meantime, we're going to slog along with this, I guess. So from that perspective, I mean, if folks are convinced that the crop isn't there, this dip in prices is kind of your textbook time to get along if need be. You know, yeah, if you want to speculate, you could get long at these prices. The other thing that uh, it might be useful for is last my last uh, column that I wrote for DTN was about buying out of new crop contracts. Mm-hmm. And if you're somebody who still hasn't done that, if you are feeling that you are oversold, that you have sold more in the spring, uh, which is always a good idea and probably at profitable prices, like there was nothing wrong with doing that. But now if that crop didn't get planted and you need to buy out of those obligations, yeah, a pullback like this certainly helps. So let's talk a little bit about the WASDE report that will be coming up. Elaine, what are your thoughts here? I mean, we've seen exports um, continue to be somewhat disappointing. It definitely seems as though ethanol production has been somewhat disappointing. Where do you anticipate this WASDE is going to leave us? Yeah, so the ethanol margins are a little bit better after, you know, you drop corn prices, whatever Mm -hmm. it's 20 cents or thereabouts, 30 cents, shoot. Um, so if, if USDA wants to go in and I don't, I'm not a conspiracy theorist that suggests that they, you know, decide whether they want to make a bullish or bearish report and then, and then change numbers accordingly. But the bullish things they could do to the report is perhaps to change the ethanol crush. Um, certainly they could change the feed, uh, numbers. We saw a very, uh, bearish to the hog market, but we saw a very large, hogs and pigs report last week. So there is reason to think that the soybean meal complex and feed grain complexes could get more from a feed usage standpoint. But you're right that exports, uh, neither from the corn nor the soybean perspective, or, you know, have the data to back up any sort of a bullish adjustment in next week's WASDE report. All right. Well, now let's turn our topic to soybeans. 80 million acres of soybeans well below trade expectations on Friday's report. Beans naturally falling that much of a bullish report are down 14, 15, 16 cents on the day. Elaine, what's happening in the bean market? Right. So maybe I should take back what I said about the corn even trading the report. Maybe that's not what we're trading at all, because exactly, if you had a a drop in bean acreage, and again, I suspect that the drop is even larger than that, because this is talking about intentions based on price versus reality, which is reality based on weather, which we all know was terrible this spring. So I think there could be more bullish acreage news for soybeans in the future uh, that that report last week's crazy report doesn't really reflect. Um, Nevertheless, like you mentioned, the market is down 15 cents. So let's not try and tie those two things together. Let's say it's more likely, um, you know, the dollar is way up today. That never helps grain prices. Uh, It could just be time for a pullback in the grain and oilseed complex, given that, you know, we've been churning higher here for the past six weeks. 
Now, uh, we did have, of course, President Trump met with Chinese President uh, Xi over the weekend. We put the trade war on hold, according to uh, expectations. We have uh, a tweet from our president saying that China is going to be returned to the market and buy tremendous quantities of ag goods. None of that's making an impact today, it seems. Well, at some point, it's the boy who cried wolf. I mean – the story about they're going to do it, they're going to do it, they're going to do it, and then nothing ever really happens. So, uh, yeah, I'm, I don't, I feel like the market maybe doesn't respond to those sorts of things. And in reality, you know, the weekly export inspections for soybeans were 719,000 metric tons, which is not enough, not enough to get excited about. Um, no. Gotcha. We need the rubber to hit the road on, uh, on the trade war front. Yeah. I don't know. I was th- trying to think of a better analogy, and I just couldn't. No, I so mean, we're going uh, with cars, even though that ties in more with ethanol. I don't know. Well, you talk. What, what would be a good metaphor? Some rail cars on a rail. I, I'd have to think about that one, Mike. Right. We need to crush the oil from the meal. Or there something we on the go. Yes, we need to extrude some. Yes. Oil out of this. Yeah, we do. Well, actually, OK, speaking of oil and meal and et cetera, we continue to hear reports of African swine fever, uh, especially in Southeast Asia. Elaine, looking over at the livestock markets, as you mentioned, fairly bearish hogs and pigs report. And yet we've got lean hogs up. Not quite the limit today, but August up 270. Last I looked. What What's going on? Yeah, so the hogs and pigs report was 103.6%, I think, of a year ago levels, which is, you know, what we have expected to see. But um, it certainly just confirms the idea that we're just growing this herd, growing this herd with the expectation of something magical happening. And and that keeps on not happening. So price wise, uh, you know, seasonally, we're good. We're 20 or $30 higher than we were back in May when this big uh, April or May when this rally really started getting going, but we've certainly pulled back um, once the reality of these heavy supplies have become more apparent just in the past two or three weeks. And I mean, the rally today, this is probably based on hopes that China is going to step into this hog market in a big way and, and start purchasing after this meeting. It could be. And it's just also a continuation. You know, we saw a low. This would have been last week on the 24th. What was that? Last Monday. So a week ago, exactly. Those hog contracts hit a low on the chart and they've sort of been churning higher ever since. So a little bit higher that they are today could just be a continuation of that. It could be uh, a reflection of the fact that feed prices are a little cheaper that you know, always helps the livestock markets. It certainly helps feeder cattle today. Um, so there's a number of things that could be getting to work there. Well, let's talk about feeder cattle. Of course, Elaine, you are a cattle producer. When you look at the, the situation on the ground between the flooding that affected uh, Nebraska, Western Iowa, parts of South Dakota earlier this spring, the terrible wet weather we had, when you think ahead to uh, to calves coming to market, what's your expectation for the feeder market going forward? They have really, really been helped by the fact that there is grass this year and there is a lot of grass and the, oh, you look at the, the range and pasture conditions are fantastic everywhere. We no longer have drought in cattle country. So that's that's the good news. The bad news is that, you know, the, the prices have been falling since May all through the month of May and June. Uh, when I say that they've been helped by these good grass conditions, it's hard to say how much worse it would have been if there had been continued drought. 
Um, so we're seeing, I think, the bottoming out there or sort of a neutralizing of the calf chart. Uh, probably won't get much above 140 here looking at the August contract. I don't know that anybody cares about the August contract really too much. Let's look at... I mean, SEP's only 60 cents higher, really. Yeah. But let's... So, so spring calves that people want to bring to market in October... That, too, is kind of in that same price range where it's going to struggle to get above 140. But that would be a good, you know, a, a good goal for folks if they wanted to lock in some prices. Well, let's talk fat cattle. Uh, we have been grinding that market lower for the past six weeks. You know, the Oct at 105, D's, you know, hanging up there at 110. Are we going to see this summer push below 100 for fats? Well, I don't know. There's a lot of bearishness uh, coming their way, especially. And I mentioned this just briefly earlier that the dollar is way up today, and I'm not entirely certain why. Like, what sort of geopolitical thing is going on to make that happen? But when that happens, that's pressure on all commodities. It's pressure on beef, retail beef, wholesale beef that gets exported, and so that pressure will push back and fall into the to the live cattle contracts also. So that certainly could be part of it. Gotcha. Gotcha. That makes perfect sense. Now, before we let you go, Madison, I have been sucking up all of the air in this conversation. <laughs> Do you have any questions for Elaine Cub? You know, Mike, I think you asked every single question that I had. I was really kind of toning in on the USDA report and trade, and Elaine did a great job in answering those. She does. She is very sharp, Elaine Cub is. <laughs> and Elaine... Before we let you go, what are your pearls of wisdom for our growers out there who are sick of dealing with this weather? They're frustrated. They've got a market rally that's been happening. Of course, now it's collapsing. How do you deal with the stress? What's your final parting wisdom to our listeners? Yeah, the stress is a really big part, isn't it? Um, you know, I think I think it helps a little bit now that the planting push is, is is gone and now you can maybe reach some equanimity because there's just nothing you can do while you were still in the in the throes of planting season. There was always the feeling that you should be out doing something. You got to be doing something, got to be doing something. And now that maybe and I think that. I think it's probably time that we can say it's over, right? The planting season is over. Maybe there's still some folks planting soybeans, but few and far between. So now that the, the the stress of not having to do and do and do is gone, now you just get to sit back and and learn to 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 deal with acceptance and have the conversations with your crop insurance agent and your banker and get your acres certified and figure out you know exactly what the money is going to look like. And with that, we better let you get back to working on your farm operation. Elaine Cub, if our listeners want to get more from you, where can they find you on social media and where can they buy your fantastic book? Well, thank you, Mike. I'm on Twitter at Elaine Cub. Cub is spelled with a K. And, you know, I'm usually in a, I'm usually a much more chipper and upbeat person than today when, when prices are down so much. But the book, you can get information from the Twitter site or from www.masteringthegrainmarkets.com. Mastering the Grain Markets, that's the name of the book. You can get it on Amazon or, you know, anywhere you can get an ebook or a paper book just online. You go look for Mastering the Grain Markets. Fantastic. Listeners, check it out. And Elaine Cub, thanks for taking the time to chat with us and to share your thoughts. Well, it has been my pleasure. Have a, have a happy 4th of July. 
Well, folks, there you have it. Um, huge thank you to Elaine for kind of giving us her insight on these markets and all of this trade situation we have going on here in the U.S. But Mike, you know, where can listeners see what we have going on at our podcast? Fantastic question, Madison. They should quickly hop on their Twitter machines or their Facebook things, and they should go to at Ag News Daily. They will find us on social media in both places, as well as recently we have joined Instagram. This is Madison's uh, brainchild, so she's running that. You can find us on Instagram. Just search for Ag News Daily, or you can catch up on past episodes by hitting our website at our www.agnewsdaily.com. And with that, Madison, should we let the people go? Let's let them go.